Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, as we start this new series, I I want those of you who are parents, can you remember with me that time when, if you've had a child, they first tell you the words, no. Once they learn it, they love it. I mean, here you are with this baby that becomes a toddler, and, and you're asking them to do something perfectly reasonable, something for their own good, either something they need to eat or a bath or something you need them to do. And once they learn they can raise up with their own will and defy you, they, they look at you and they say, no. And you, and you have that battle of the wills. In fact, I, I think it's one of the maddening parts of parenting, that all along the journey with kids, you come to these places where you have to lead them to do what they need to do for their good, and they don't want to do it. Now, here's the reality. God does the same thing with us. I know He certainly has done it in my life. Times where where He's called me to do things, or I read things in the Bible, and I just don't want to do it. And sometimes I can even be a little defiant about it. Maybe not as outwardly as a two-year-old, but I'll ignore what He's saying. Or I'll try my own thing and hope he leaves me alone in it. You know, we're going to start a series where God calls a man to do something pretty radical, and he just doesn't want to do it. He he does a basic, it's a full-blown temper tantrum. He gives God a no. If you got your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to look in the book of Jonah. And I know as soon as I say the word Jonah, we immediately go to whales and that. That's part of the story, but it's a small part of the story. In fact, we're not even going to look at that part this week. I just want you to look at not so much what Jonah did, but I want us to think about this week, why did he respond this way? And do we respond this way to God? If you got your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 1, and and we read there. Look at it in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And give you a little background on Jonah. We we only have one other context where we see him. If you look in 2 Kings 14, it mentions Jonah, the son of Amittai. And and he lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. And God had spoken a prophecy to him. During that time, the the children of Israel and the northern nation in particular had, had been really oppressed by the nations around him. And so God gives Jonah this prophecy that he's going to expand the borders. In other words, he's going to actually give Israel more land. And this was the most tangible sign of blessing that you could have. you got to remember, these are agrarian people. Everything depended on the land. And so the most tangible way that God would show that he's blessing is he gives more land. And so Jonah's this prophet who gets to declare to the people, hey, God's about to expand our boundaries. And then through the leadership of Jeroboam, God did it. They got more land. The country expanded. Now, you got to imagine at this point, Jonah's a pretty popular guy. I mean, you're the guy that got to tell everybody, man, God's going to bless us. And you were ahead of the curve. It'd be like the financial planner who years ago told everybody, man, you ought to invest in Apple. Or maybe if you worked at a venture capital firm and you were the guy that said, you know, I really think we ought to invest in this Facebook thing. And then everybody looks at you and go, man, you're the man. That was Jonah's life. And I can picture him just kind of walking along and everybody going, Jonah, we love the new territory. 
He's like, yeah, glad you got it. Hey, Jonah, any more words from the Lord? Hey, I'll tell you as soon as I hear it. Life's good for Jonah. And so in Jonah 1, God comes and he says, I've got another word to you. I want to tell you something directly. And I've got to think at this point, Jonah is like, bring it on, God. How are you going to bless us now? But notice what God says in verse 2. He said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against their, their evil, for their evil has come up before me. So he says, I, I want you to go, and I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It's about 550 miles northeast from where Jonah lived. And so he says, I want you to go to that. Notice he says that great city. He's using it in two ways. It, it truly was a great city. It was one of the world's capitals. Huge city. But it also was a city that had great potential for evil. That God says, I've, I've heard of the evil that they're doing. They've reached this point that I can't let this continue. And just give you a, a little bit of context. Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, was growing. It was becoming the next dominant world power. And as it grew under the leadership of Tiglath-Pileser and then later Sennacherib, they, they went on this global campaign and they started taking over other countries. And, and when these empires would do it, some would do it in different ways. Assyria was known, they were a country killer. They were a culture killer. This is how they would dominate the world. When they went into a country and they, they defeated the army of that country, they didn't want to leave the people there. They would either decimate in their stories of how cruel they were. that They would behead just huge groups of people. And if they wanted to take prisoners, they'd put them on a chain or a rope and put a hook through their side and have them march back to Assyria. They, they wanted the whole world scared of them so that no one would have the, the guts to stand up against them. And, and because of that, they never left behind the original people of that country. They'd bring in other groups so that they could mix them together and that way keep that culture from ever rising again. They were country killers. They were culture killers. They're, they're everything opposite of what Jonah would consider Israel. Man, we're the people of God. This is where God's doing this good thing. This is where the temple is. And you want me to go there and warn them? And, and we'll find out in Jonah 4, at the heart of this, he doesn't want those people to hear about God's mercy. He doesn't want those people who've hurt so many people. He doesn't want them to get to experience it. So he looks at it, and what's his response? He says, no. And he doesn't just say no. Look, look what he does in verse 3. Read with me. And so Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. And notice why. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So if you look at it, when Jonah, he's here. He's right here in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh, 550 miles to the northeast. Look what he does. He first goes to Joppa. Well, why do you go to Joppa? 
Joppa is a port city where you catch a boat. You don't need a boat to go to Nineveh. It's a land journey. But Jonah's not going to Nineveh. Jonah gets on a boat and his goal is Tarshish. It's literally the last city in the known world. I don't want to go 550 miles this way. I'm going to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction because I absolutely don't want to do what God's called me to do. And, and as you look at that, maybe you know the story, you know what's going to happen. I want us to stop for a minute. I don't want us to just think about what he did. Remember again, why did he do it? Why was his reaction so strong? And, and part of the reason he did this is he, just the whole mentality of how they approached the world as Israelites, as the people of God. I mean, think about it. And, and Jonah's a faithful guy. He's not a bad guy. He's a faithful guy. It was hard to be a follower of God in this world. It was hard to be an Israelite, to be faithful to that. They had enemies all around them. And, and even though God had called them from the beginning with Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations. Somewhere along the way, like it is easy for any of us as a people of God, that we lose the focus out there. And it becomes about surviving here and life here and what we need. And, and as Jonah looked at it, I mean, it wasn't that he was against the people of the world. They could have a relationship with God, but here's how they need to do it. We're not going to go there. They need to come here. Come to Israel. Come to the temple. This is where we meet God. Come be like us. Learn our laws. Become a God-fearer. If you really want to convert and you're a male, you need to get circumcised. And then after you've been circumcised and after you learn the law, the more you integrate like us, you can experience God, but it's going to be all about if you're willing to come here. And then God looks at Jonah and he goes, yeah, I got something radical for you. I want you to go there. I want you to go to them. And then Jonah looks at the there and he goes, wait, God, I think you made a mistake. Out of all the people you could pick on the planet, not there. Not Ninevites. Not after what they've done. Not after the hurt they've caused. Not after the injustice in the world. God, I don't want them to experience your mercy. I want them to be judged. I don't want to go there. And so he does everything he can to get away from the presence of the Lord. He literally gets on a boat to get away from God. And, and reading the story, we kind of laugh at it. But guys, I, I see that in play all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people, when they start disobeying God, they pull back from God. They pull back from church. I've seen young people who sometimes they go off to school and they start engaging in behavior they wouldn't have before. And it's so easy to suddenly turn on God. Well, I don't even believe in God anymore. Really what's going on? The disobedience in their life is causing so much dissonance in their heart, it's easier to try to get away from God or turn on God. So Jonah does the ultimate, I'll just get on a boat and go the opposite way. Now, look what God does, though. As he goes, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. So this isn't a minor storm. This is like the whole thing's going to break up. The mariners were afraid. Each of them cried out to his God. 
They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship. He'd lain down and was fast asleep. Uh, That's probably a good metaphor for Jonah. (laughs) He's asleep in a lot of ways. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and that we may not perish. He's like, hey, we're all crying out to our God. Give us a little help here. Remember, sailors are very superstitious. They had many gods. And so they're going, let's see if one of them, maybe it's yours, will help us. Now, as it continues in the passage, and they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we can know on whose account this evil's come upon us. Lots is kind of like spin the bottle. They, they would cast dice, but it's a way of pointing out. And when they spin, it lands on Jonah. And they said to him, all right, tell us on the account of this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where have you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? They're, they're giving the third degree. Come on, tell us what's going on. There's something here and you're the cause of it. Notice what Jonah says when they ask these questions. And he said to them, and I love the, the ego almost of this. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. You almost feel kind of this pride. Remember, we're the people that have the truth. We're the people that have the temple. We're the people that have the law. I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven. And and I love this line because you can feel the disconnect between Jonah's behavior and his belief. He says, I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, I'm trying to get away from that God even though he's the God that made everything. He's the God of the sea and the land. And the men were afraid. And they said to them, what is this that you have done? I mean, literally they look at him and they go, what'd you do? I mean, are are you crazy? Your God is the one that made all this? What do you think you're doing? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them, I'm on a boat to get away from God. I love these guys. They're good guys. If you look at the next verse, they said to him, what shall we do that the sea could quiet down? For the sea grew even more temptuous. The storm starts raging that much more. And they look at Jonah and they said, hey, what can we do to appease your God? And and you would think at this point, Jonah would say, okay, here's what we need to do. We just need to turn around. I need to go back. Instead of going this way, I need to obey God and go the journey he called me to go. But Jonah doesn't say that, does he? Look what Jonah says. He says, well, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I mean, it sounds noble, but you know what Jonah's saying at this point? I would rather die than do what God wants me to do. Just throw me in. I mean, God has said go, and I'm not going, and I just would rather die here than obey. Now, these guys don't give up on Jonah that easy. If you look at the next verse, they try as hard as they can to row, but they can't. So finally, they pray to God, and they're like, don't put his blood on us. We we have no other choice. And they picked up Jonah, and they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Earlier, they're praying to any God. Now they're praying to the Lord, and they make vows to him. For a guy who didn't want to be a missionary, Jonah's actually pretty good at it, even when he's 
not trying to be. As you look at this point in the story, I mean, they have no choice. They toss Jonah into the ocean and they see that God really is in control of this. And again, I know immediately we want to jump to what happens next, but I want to stop at this moment. And again, I want to ask us, why did Jonah respond in this way? What is it that was so driving him? And could we have that same mentality as well? Would would it be easy for us to get a mentality that we lose sight of the fact that God's always been a God that calls us to go there, to cross lines, to reach out? And if you look through Scripture, this story is not a standalone. If anything, I think this story is good for us because it shows us again when God commands and we don't want to do it. But if you look all through the Bible, God is constantly modeling or calling His people, man, you need to go there. You need to step out with it. And the reality is, we often struggle with it. I was just thinking of some of the examples of going there. If you look in Scripture, I mean, you look at the example of Jesus. It was fascinating to me. In Jesus' time, it harkens back a little bit to Jonah's time. Because there was this land right in the middle of the nation of Israel called Samaria. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. And part of the reason they did, it goes all the way back to the Assyrian Empire. Because when the Assyrians came and Ultimately, they took the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. They took them hostage. They destroyed their country. And when they did, they brought in other people so that anybody that was left would intermarry. And so that's where the Samaritans came from. They were a group of other nations and Jews. They mixed their cultures together. They mixed their beliefs together. So by the time of Jesus' day, in the nation of Israel... Anytime a Jew had to travel through Samaria, Samaria, they hated it. They looked down on them. They had this this thought about it is these people are below us and they defile us. John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling through Samaria. And his disciples go in town to get some food. And if you know the story, Jesus is tired. He sits down by a well and sitting next to him is a Samaritan woman. And remember the mentality of how the Jews thought about the Samaritans. And it was even worse, the men thought they were better than the women. And Jesus looks over at this woman at the well. Look what he says in the verse with it. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, notice her response, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus looks over at her. He says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And she's shocked. Why? Because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't talk to women. And and here was the most shocking part. You got to remember, Jesus is sitting there. He doesn't have a cup. He has nothing to draw with. So he's going to have to drink out of her pot. Or out of her cup. I mean, the lines that he's crossing in that moment, it's to the point when his disciples come back, they're horrified. What is he doing talking to a Samaritan woman? But if you read the story, it leads to a whole village 
coming to know who Jesus is. He tells his disciples, he says, man, look at this. The fields are white. There's a harvest that's there. But you'll never experience it unless you're willing to go there. Unless you're willing to cross lines that maybe make you uncomfortable. Another example that stands out in Scripture, Peter. Even after Christ's resurrection, Peter and the church is forming and it's in Jerusalem, but they still had struggle. Even the early church, they had trouble as Jewish people really going there. Are we really going to invite the Gentile world in? And Peter is in Joppa. Remember that port city of Jonah? It shows up again. Peter's down in Joppa. Because God wants Peter to go on a journey, not across the sea, but across racial lines, across social lines. And, and Peter has this dream, and he starts seeing all these animals come down from heaven, animals that as Jews they wouldn't eat, they're not clean. And God commands him, he says, hey, Peter, eat. Peter's like, no, God, that's not clean. And God says, I'll declare what's clean. Now, the dream really wasn't just about animals. It was really how you're going to treat people. Because look at Acts 10, when, when Peter wakes up, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. You just go with them. And they take Peter to this man Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And they take him to Cornelius' house. Now to us, that's not a big deal. At that point, Jewish believers even wouldn't go into the household of a Gentile. And yet God told Peter, go. And look what Peter says to Cornelius when he goes into the house a few verses later. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You, you know our rules. You know we don't do this. We don't associate. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, God showed me I don't get to define the lines. I don't get to pull back. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. See, he does the opposite of Jonah. When Jonah was sent, what did he do? He ran. Peter goes, you know what I've learned? I've learned when God tells you, you obey Him. And even though it makes me uncomfortable, even though this probably hurt my reputation, my people don't do this. Man, when God says go, you go. Guys, it's, it's the core of what we believe as a church. It's the core of what Jesus commissioned. Look what He tells His church. And we talk about these verses all the time. Look at Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to all of us. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Because he died on the cross, because he rose from the dead, because he's commissioning his church. Look what he says. I got all authority. And here's what I'm telling you to do. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, because I rose from the dead, here's what we need to do. You need to get everybody in the world to come here and you teach them here. No, what does he say? He doesn't say, come here. He says, you need to go, therefore. And look where the there is. Make disciples of all nations. You need to go to all people. 
See, in that moment, he's commissioning his church, and he says, at the core of the command I give to you, you go. And you go to all the nations. There's no people. There's no person. Nobody is beyond God's mercy. Nobody has gone too far. No nation or people or group, no matter what they've done, is beyond the pale of the mercy of God. And I have the authority and I call you to go there, everywhere. And notice what he says in that, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Part of this is comforting, but part of it is this recognition. He's a God who's always going there. So if you want to be with him, you better go too. He's a God who's always on mission. If you want to be near to him, you better go too. And guys, as as we think about it this week, I, I just want to stop at this point. We'll continue on with Jonah's journey and the other parts of the story. But this week, I just want us to think about that thought and maybe ask ourselves some questions. And I think it's really important where we are as a church right now. I mean, this weekend's our first weekend. We're having one service indoors. We're in venue two. I mean, hopefully in July, we're going to come back in. We're back in the church. And if you're like me, man, I have been longing to be here. I've been longing to do church again. But here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to have a mentality that everything is so about here that we lose the heart of what God's saying about there. So let me ask you. I just ask you the question, what is your mindset? Do you have a come here mindset or a go there mindset? And here's what I mean in that. Do you have a come here mindset that it can happen to any of us. It happens to the people of God. It happens to the children of God. It happens to churches. We're, we're, as good as our hearts are, as much as we care about people in the world, we kind of go passive and we don't really get active in it. And we get to the point that everything's about how do we survive here? How do we do church here? How are we coming together here? And, and when you have a come here mindset, it slowly drifts into a stay here mindset. Because it's a bad world out there. And so, man, we, we better stay here. And then you can almost move into a place we got to protect here. we got to protect how we do church. we got to protect what we like about church. And without even thinking about it, you almost get into a consumer mindset. That when I come here, I want here to be exactly what I need. And I want here to be what church means to me. And I want here to be focused here. It's so easy to do. See, it's a simple shift, but it's pretty radical that when your fundamental mindset is, man, how do we go there? How do we reach the people around us? How do we reach neighbors and friends? How do we reach people who don't know Jesus yet? How do we look at them? And yeah, we want them to come here. In fact, it changes how we think about here. So that when I come to church, I'm not just thinking about what I get out of it is, man, what about my friends who don't know Jesus? Man, how how do we engage them here? How how do we speak to them here? How do we worship in a way that, man, they could engage here? I just ask you at this point, do you have a come here mindset where you're open to the world, but they better come to you? Or do we have a go there mindset? And and when I say that, I, I just remember this. Jesus tells everybody on the planet, come to me. But he tells his church, go to them. 
There's a big difference. When I say that as well, I would ask you, where is your there? Where's your there? I mean, Jonah, it was Nineveh. And it was a pretty hard there. He had to cross 550 miles. He had to cross cultural lines. He had to cross country lines. It's a radical call on Jonah. I'm not even going that radical with you. I'm just asking, where is your there? And for many of us, it's not 550 miles. It's probably not even 550 feet. You're there are the neighbors who live around you. You're there are your coworkers. You're there are family members, people in your sphere. Now, I would just ask you, are you willing to go there, though? Are you willing to move into their lives and connect with them and move outwardly with that? And as I say that, you might have to wrestle with things like Jonah did. I'll be honest, I think a lot of us don't want to go there because we don't like the there. We don't like those people. They're different than me. And even now, you look around and you go, Tim, they vote opposite of me. We're of different political parties. We approach COVID differently. We approach social issues differently. I mean, we're getting divided within the church over things like this. And I'm talking about big church in our country. How much more is it easy to look at that and go, man, I don't even like those people much less want to connect with them and reach them. Maybe if you feel those things and you find it, maybe you need to confess it. Ask God to start working in my heart. And I don't want to think anybody's outside of the wideness of God's mercy. And I want to take that message to them and cross that. Maybe as I say that, I'm talking about somebody that's hurt you. So even as you think about it, you don't want them right with God. (laughs) You want them to be judged by God. You know, Paul Yongi Cho was at one point, he was a pastor of the largest church in the world. It was in Korea. And uh, as his ministry was expanding, he had promised God, he said, God, I'll take this gospel message anywhere in the world, except one place he really had a problem was Japan. And post-World War II, some of the atrocities that the Korean people had experienced during the war at the hands of the Japanese, his own family had experienced. He had deep wounds, deep hatred. You know, I I saw this firsthand when we lived in Bangkok. One of our uh, closest friends were missionaries, and she was one-eighth Japanese. And as she told me one day, she said, I don't let anybody know that. She said, a lot of times when the Thai people hear I, I'm Japanese at all, I lose friendship. I lose all relationship because many of them were hurt during the war as well. As Pastor Cho wrestled with this, he knew the day would come. He got an invitation to come and uh, speak in Japan. And it was to speak to a thousand Japanese ministers. And he wrestled all the way as he, he went up on the stage. And as he started to speak, the first thing that came out of his mouth was just this guttural, primal, true feeling. He told him, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And then he crumbled in tears. That that was the honesty of where he was. First one and then another. Then finally the whole group of pastors came 
and they knelt before him. And they asked for forgiveness for their people. It wasn't what they had done, but they asked for forgiveness. And they asked if, if he could extend that to them. And through tears, as Pastor Cho described it, he was able to look at them through Christ and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And as he described it, he meant it. Because of what Christ could do. Guys, as we look at the world all around us, I know there's a lot of things that get us upset. There's a lot of beliefs. The culture's changing in different ways. There's things that we get afraid of in it. And it's easy to look all around and turn everybody into an enemy. And, and, and look at these people, and we don't want to reach them. I just want to judge them. And when we do that, we're losing the heart of what God's called us to do. We're Go there, people. Because we have the message of reconciliation. Because we have a Savior who can change any hearts. You know, one of the things I'm going to talk about in this series, you know, I talked about the Assyrians and, and some of the atrocities they did. I, I can't wait. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you how God moved among the Assyrian people. In fact, some of the greatest Christians you'll meet in the world today are Assyrian Christians. Because God can change any heart. Final question I just ask you today as we finish out. What does a next step out there look like for you? What does it mean for you to go there? Where's your there? Have you even thought about that? And what would it look like to take a next step? And, and I want to encourage you. We're, we're working on ways as a church. In fact, this summer we're going to talk over the next several weeks. We're putting together these block party kits, invitations, and we've actually got a kit of games and stuff that you can do that we want the, the members of Venture, we want you to host a block party. Just get with your neighbors and, and coordinate it with them. And, and on the materials, nothing says Venture in it. We, we, we don't want to talk about the church. We want them connecting with you. And just give you a chance, maybe over dinner or over outside, having a picnic together, some way that you host it that we could start being the connection point in our neighbors and in our neighborhoods. I mean, let me just ask you an honest question. Do your neighbors even know your name? How are you ever going to tell them Jesus' name if they don't even know your name? And I know even as I say that, some of you, you're feeling that same nervousness. I mean, you want to run like Jonah right now. I, don't do it. And hear me, the goal of our block parties is just so they can get to know you. We're not asking you to deliver some sermon or that. We just want them to actually know you. And so we want to equip our people any way we can, just that we start loving and knowing our neighbors and those around us and take a next step. What's your next step out there? Maybe you don't know what it is. Here's what I'd encourage you. Ask God. Maybe you don't know where your there is. Ask God. Just ask them, hey, God, who in my world are you asking me to connect with? Who are you asking me to step in their life? Who could you open up doors that I could share Jesus? We are called to be a church to go there. I can't wait for the day when we are so open up, we can tell everybody in the Bay Area, come here. But guys, come here means nothing if we're not a people 
that embrace go there, wherever there is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for just the way, Jesus, you modeled this. You crossed all lines. You were willing to, to talk to anyone for the sake of sharing how they could have a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that you include these stories of, of guys like Jonah, people that just said absolutely no. And, and we get to see how this story plays out and your grace and your graciousness with him. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace to me. As even as I think about my life, the times that I've not wanted to do what you called me to do. And every time I ran, it was a mistake. But every time your grace was there. Lord, I pray for our church. Could we be a go-there church? Maybe through this pandemic, maybe through all that we've been under, it's easy to turn inward. We don't want to be that. We can't wait to open up this campus completely as a base of ministry, as a base of operation. But could you launch us from this place into the world that you've called us to so that everyone we come in contact would have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ and the difference he makes. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.